This podcast is produced by The Brand is Female. Hello and welcome back to the Matriarch Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Shayla Olette Stonechild, and I'm very excited and honored to have Jessica Brood in here with me today. She is a member of the Namgis First Nation, and I met Jessica a few years ago now in Montreal when I was facilitating a wellness workshop under her. And yoga is really what brought us together, and yoga is the foundation not only with my work, but also with Jessica's. Jessica is a proud mother of two daughters, a wife, a sun dancer, an indigenous health researcher, a yoga teacher, and a doula. She has spent the last 10 years working professionally in indigenous people's health and education, including a variety of roles in health research, health promotion, project management, and community engagement. Jessica has a master's of applied science in physical therapy from the McGill University and an undergraduate degree in human kinetics from the University of BC. Jessica currently works with the First Nations Health Authority as a traditional wellness specialist for Vancouver Island. So not only does she wear many hats, but she's actually created a cohort called First Nations Women's Yoga Initiative that combines Indigenous teachings with yoga philosophy. And so we share a lot of similarities in the way that we view the world and a lot of differences. And honestly, this entire episode is medicine to the ears. And so I really hope you enjoy it. We talk about her wellness journey, what she thinks of the wellness industry, and what is on the horizon for the next year. Hi, hi. I'm very excited and honored to have Jessica here with me today. Thank you. Hi, hi, Jessica, for sharing your time and your energy and your wisdom today. If you just want to introduce yourself to the audience, the traditional territory from where you're from, and a little bit about your work, uh, thank you so much. Star Woman, Hetman Ligami, Jessica. Gai klen lacha namglis tlu khawatmis tlu khagyot kyuklen la yelis gelakasa shela. I'm really happy to be here. Uh, my name is Jessica Barudin. I am Kwakwakwak, a member of the Namgis First Nation with ties to the Muskamaug through the Hawatmis and the Kwagyot. And through my father's side, I uh, come from um, Russian background, uh, Russian Jewish background. And I live in my home community in Alert Bay. Uh, that's northern Vancouver Island and Numgis territory. Um, and currently working on a few different projects. I work full time with the First Nations Health Authority as a traditional wellness specialist with the Vancouver Island region. And uh, also working on my uh, PhD. And it aligns with some of the work that I do in community uh, combining yoga and traditional practices for women and girls and uh yeah i'll talk more about that with the first nations women's yoga initiative so gala casa happy to be here yeah you do i i feel like there's so many parallels in our lives uh we do a lot of similar things obviously probably in a lot of different ways i feel like that was how i was introduced to your work was through yoga and wellness and intertwining the two worlds and so i know we're going to dive uh, deeper into that conversation. But before we do, I'm curious to know, like, how has the past uh, year been for you uh, for 2021? I know it's been really different for everyone. And so how has the past year been? Yeah, it's been, it's been a journey. It's been a huge learning experience, I would say. A lot of really positive things happening in my life, a lot of beautiful prayers can come into fruition. Um, 
just raising. I have two daughters, um, Maya and Leela. And so it's been just a busy time uh, as they're growing and developing uh, and just navigating this journey of motherhood during the pandemic. Mm. And um, yeah, overall, really a really powerful year of learning new lessons, lots of opportunities and a lot of challenges for sure. Just being back home in my home community, I've been here uh, for just over two years now. And so um, dealing with uh, a lot of things that happen day to day and just uh, cyclical things, there's been t- a lot of grief and loss for our mm. nation and our neighboring nations and a lot of crisis. So just kind of navigating as best I can with the tools that I have. Mm. Yeah, I think that's so important. I feel the same. Like I feel like there's so many cycles of grief right now and I'm so thankful that you know, I went through yoga teacher training and I have some tools, but at the same time, I don't feel like any of us were really equipped for the reality that we're currently facing right now. There's still so much unknown. And I hands down have so much respect for anyone that's parenting during a pandemic right now. Cause I'm like, I can barely take care of myself some days, like let alone another like little human being. So my hands are up to you right now. Well, they definitely helped to ground me as well. And that routine and that sort of, well, that purpose, they, they give me a lot of uh, strength and uh, just joy. Like they're, they're so much fun. My oldest daughter is eight years old. She just had her birthday and my youngest is four. So it's just really special to, to be together and to be navigating through this, this whole pandemic. And it's been hard on them. Like they've been doing mm-hmm. amazing children are so resilient. So yeah, but that, that joy has been present. So I'm great. I'm really grateful for that. Well, I can imagine because I like the last time I think we spoke, like actually physically in person, you were living in Montreal and then you're making the move to go back home. And so how has that transition been for you going from like a busy, I'm actually in Montreal right now, going from like a busy, lively, you know, city um, to now living in your home territory or home turf. How has that transition been? Well, that's funny because I do remember that and and how we first met in person at McGill. I invited you over to that youth camp um, to teach yoga because that was the same week that we were packing up our house, packing up our like our yeah. trailer. And I was just over the top maxed out with stress. So I was so grateful that you were able to be there and, and show up for the youth that we had for the camp. Um, but that was just... Ever since, you know, we we hit the road and we drove across from Montreal all the way to the island, um, is it's just been a whirlwind. Um, it's definitely uh, a huge transition. I, I moved home. Um, and so the community here, just to give a bit of context, there's about a thousand people maybe um, at the mm-hmm. most for the population and about 50% Indigenous or First Nations from our nation, the Numbis, as well as other Kwakwakwak nations. So uh, it's been really grounding to come home. There's obviously been a lot of challenges, like for, for one, finding housing was a very unsettling mm-hmm. time. So this past mm-hmm. year or so, we just bought our first house. So that was just a major uh, milestone for my husband and I and um, just helped us to feel that that foundation that was, you know, obviously, it's a, I think that's the scariest part when you kind of uproot your life and you start a new job and you come come home and all the family dynamics. But 
it's been incredible. And I had wanted to come home for many years prior to us actually making the move for many reasons, mostly to be connected to um, my community and my family, and also to have opportunity to be immersed in our culture and, and learn our language. So that's been um, every day, just what I continue to remind myself of the important reasons for me, for me being home. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, challenges, but overall, I love it. It's, it's a small community. It's a beautiful island surrounded by the ocean, surrounded by our, you know, all of the animals and, and wildlife and just feel a lot more grounded now um, being out of the city. So that's mm-hmm. it's been a change for sure. How long were you in Montreal for? I'm curious. I was there for uh, eight years. So I started eight off years. doing my yeah, I started off doing my master's there. And um, during that time, I had connected with my um, now current husband, and we had our first baby. And so we really started our family over there. That's where he's from. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, so I was there for a lot longer than I anticipated. I kind of imagined myself just going to grad school, moving back to New York and starting a career or doing different things. And then, um, yeah, I became a mother and that that changed the trajectory of things and, um, and, and home now. So it's been good. Yeah. Vancouver. I feel like we like have done a switcheroo cause I'm actually in the process of moving to Montreal and I've been in Vancouver wow. for the past eight years. Yeah. But Vancouver provides, that's literally what I'm scared of too, because Vancouver provides you like connection to source. It provides you with answers like, that you're not even like you don't even really have to search for them there it's all of a sudden they just like show up because you are connected to you know your community connected to stores connected to your foundation I feel and so it is like a little intimidating moving again to like another city but I think the similarities here are we're both following like our life purpose and our life path and what we've been set out to do now within this life and I'm curious to know like we've talked a little bit already about like having foundations and having rituals and having routines. And so I'm curious to know, like, what does that actually look like for you on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, that's a great question. And really interesting to see those sort of uh, similarities in in our own journeys. Uh, Montreal is a really great place for me to learn new things, to meet new people. And really, it was the time of just figuring out what I wanted and also identifying what I was really missing. And it Mm -hmm. took me that many years to realize that I really needed to be home and I really need to Mm. uh, immerse myself in culture and language because I didn't have access to that being, uh, you know, in Ganyakahaga territory. But that being said, I learned so much from many elders over there. And I really, my foundation, I'd say, started uh, being in and being over there and connecting with people from many different nations uh, in, in sort of the Quebec area, as well as in Ontario. And so that that gave me a foundation and a ceremonial family and, and really a new lens of understanding uh, what kinship is. So I'm, mm. I'm really grateful for that, that time I spent there. And as far as now, um, things have changed a lot as far, you know, being in Montreal and being in that area connected to different elders and 
kind of ceremonial circles. I was able to, you know, go on the sweat lodge, mm. start our Sundance commitment. And since we've moved, we haven't had those same ceremonies. So it's been a huge mm. transition. And, and also in the last couple of years, you know, our big house. So uh, as I mentioned, we're Kwakwakwak and we potlatch. So that's a, f- a fundamental part of who we are as Kwakwakwak people. And our, and our big house has been pretty much closed for the almost two years until somewhat recently. And so we haven't had that same grounding to get into the, our sacred house mm. and to, to do our dances. So it's been a lot of uh, finding new ways of reconnecting. And so I've been, you know, exploring a lot more in our traditional territory. And and it's amazing to be able to get opportunities to go out on the water, to go out on the ocean and uh, reconnect that way. And I think other tools that have really just helped me through the pandemic and just spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically is uh, we're saltwater people. So the ocean provides so much healing and nourishment. So we do a lot of um, ocean cleanses and um, yeah, just trying to trying to find those ceremonial pieces and, and communities, new circles here uh, to mm-hmm. just feel that connection to source and, and purpose. Yeah, I feel like that's one of the things that I'm going to miss so much is like the water and I'm, I'm a Pisces. So I feel like I naturally like I'm, I gravitate towards water and to know that the Mm -hmm. the water is also like holds so much of our ceremonies. Um, And, you know, when we speak a ceremony, there's ceremony looks so different, but also the intention I think remains the same and it's like connecting to something greater than just yourself. And I know that's how I got introduced to yoga is, was, you know, for, for once in my life, I felt like I was connecting to source in another way. And so I'm curious to know, you know, where did your yoga journey begin and why did you feel called to uh, now teach yoga? Yeah, yoga has been such a lifeline for me uh, in so many ways. It's it's really helped me uh, throughout my growth. Uh, I started yoga. I first started practicing yoga when I was in high school, just sort of exploring. We had a Bikram's yoga. I the one in uh, Canby was the first sort of studio experience I ever had. So that was very different. Um, for me, I was an athlete, so I thought this hot yoga thing was going to be very beneficial uh, to me physically. And I just really enjoyed it. And, and after that, kind of just exploring a bit more with other studios uh, over the years and um, just really fell in love with the practice and, and starting to meet some different teachers. I did sort of the the energy exchange thing at Y Yoga and just you know, otherwise I, I wouldn't have been able to afford it. I was, I was a poor student and mm-hmm. those things, it wasn't accessible to me. Um, but I had a lot of fun just learning and, and meeting new teachers and having new physical experiences in my own body mm-hmm. and um, exploring. Meditation. And it wasn't until I was in grad school that I was able to sort of save up enough to do my first teacher training and I had always wanted to take it just because I knew it would be just a, about a month or more long of dedication for that first 200-hour training to really dive in and, and explore the practice and to learn more about uh, the history of yoga, the roots of yoga, and 
um, all the other different facets. It's such a rich practice. So uh, I love my f- learning that uh, first foundational piece and just continued on over the years, taking more trainings, uh, learning new skill sets. And, and it really related with what I was studying in school. I always studied science um, mm-hmm. from a Western lens, mm-hmm. but focused on the, the body, so human kinetics and rehabilitation. So uh, physical therapy was my background. So I always imagined that it would complement what I was learning about about the body. Um, mm-hmm. But then that's when I started to really realize there's so many gaps mm-hmm. in what I understood from the Western lens. And uh, that's when I really knew there's so much more to the subtle body energetically. And uh, and then at that time, you know, there was a lot of uh, chaotic things, tragic things that happened while we were in Montreal, um, including the loss of my mother-in-law. So that, that whole experience of grief really shook us and uh, it brought us down a spiritual path and into a deeper connection to spiritual communities. And mm. that's when I, I really felt that my whole background in sort of understanding science and the body was just incomplete. Mm. So um, diving, diving deeper into yoga helped me to understand more about the different layers of our whole existence as you know, who we are as human beings and consciousness. And I still have a lot to learn. I feel like the more that I dive into understanding and learning more about yoga, I feel like I don't <laughs> really know that much. So <laughs> one of those things, but yeah, no, I feel the same way. That's um, like, I think when you're taking all those trainings, like 200 hours is not enough. Um, I feel to even become a teacher. Um, so I kind of went on the same journey of like, I don't know enough information and I think what I love about yoga too is, you know, the history that happened in India of like it essentially being colonized by the British and then they had there they had to take like the yoga practice underground. And when you think of like the potlatch ban out here in Canada and how we had to take our ceremonies underground, it's kind of like, wow, like we are always kind of you know, bringing our ceremonies and our practices to save them from like colonial forces almost. And so I have like a deep respect for the history, but also like the philosophies and the worldviews. And I, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm the same way. I'm like, I feel like I'm going to forever be a student. And so I know you've, I know you've gone through like several trainings um, and likewise, and I want to know more about your experience being um, probably, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I assume you're like the only indigenous person within these trainings. And so I'm curious to know, like, what are your thoughts about the wellness industry and what do you think needs to happen um, or change within the wellness industry itself? Yeah, definitely in my first training. So that would have been 2012. I remember asking the studio if they had any sort of supports or scholarships for um, First Nation students or or whatever. And uh, and I remember the response was just sort of just short of laughter. Um, so we, <laughs> there's been a huge change even since I started um, my first training because now a lot of studios are offering, you know, BIPOC scholarships, but which I think is really great um, mm-hmm. and needed off the board probably more than than what is being provided. Um, but I think that overall, yeah, it's been it's been a huge shift. Um, I think mm-hmm. there's my. Have definitely been, you know, I've been one of the only sort of brown girls in in the studio, and and then I ha- I don't think I've been into a yoga studio class since I saw you in Kits, like a I don't know when that mm. was, 
So it's been a while. Like I don't, wow. I don't really gravitate towards that like big box yoga um, anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just trying to find my own way, my own style, and and ways of integrating and and connecting to the practice of yoga. Because like you said, it's it's really incredible the similarities not only in the colonial, the shared colonial history. Uh, you know, of Turtle Island and, and of um, the colonization in India uh, that happened to Indian people um, by way of, you know, the British and just all of that. We had a really enriching first session in our in our cohort, the First Nations Women's Yoga Initiative, where we heard about that from uh, Emmy Chahal, who's a, a, a yoga instructor and just a lovely person. She really got into the depths of, of how much it's really impacted her as a descendant from someone from Northern India and the historical mm. pieces and how they outlawed temple dancing and, and yoga and all the spiritual practice, the same way that things, the spiritual practices were targeted here and the language. So there was a lot of similar shared grief and loss and, uh, and it was profound for the women in our group and, and for myself to, to understand a little bit more. But even when you trace back pre colonization there's so many similarities with yoga and uh, our own culture but other first nations people all indigenous people of of how the songs came how the chants and mantras Mm. came and how Mm -hmm. the practices so it's really fascinating to me to 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 connect that that our people Mm -hmm. have the richness and philosophies and and science well, that's, that's the thing too. Cause, um, when I took my trainings, I was actually kind of overwhelmed because I was like, okay, th- here's the Nehyao teachings. And then I'm learning, you know, about Tantra now. And then I'm learning about like Hatha Vinyasa. And I was just learning so many things that I was like overwhelming my nervous system. And so I actually went into a sweat and the medicine man like told me, he's like, Shayla, I know you're learning so much right now and you're learning different ways of life, but we may call them different things, but it all connects us to the same source. And so when he said that, it kind of just like interconnected it, all those things for me. And I was like, wow, this is actually like, yeah, these are deep, deep practices that our ancestors have known for like so long. And it's so cool now to see like almost an integration of these two world world views. And so I'm curious to know, like, how has it been um, with your cohort the First Nations Women's Yoga Initiative, what does that cohort look like and how has it been integrating those two worlds? Well, the cohort has been just incredible. So it's, as I mentioned, I'm do, I'm currently uh, working towards my PhD. I'm just in my third year now and um, finished my coursework. And, and part of my research process was to... Uh, look at this cohort as uh, an opportunity to develop, co- co-create a curriculum for First Nations women, specifically with a, a context of the North Island. And that was really eye-opening, just the experience. So we had our first cohort that started last February. So it ran through the winter and it was uh, 80 hours was what we outlined uh, for eight modules. And um, it was just incredible. And, and right now I'm just re-watching the virtual classrooms. We had, you know, it was all through Zoom. We weren't able to meet in person. So that was challenging. But I think at the same time, it brought so many different uh, women and two-spirit people together as, during mm. such a difficult time. 
So mm-hmm. now I'm, I'm looking through, going through the analysis piece of some of the post-cohort interviews that I had with some of the participants. And so we had 20 women uh, join us. And out of those 20, 12 had officially completed the program. And we've mm-hmm. just been, our whole mission for creating this has really been to remove some of those barriers that we see in in some of the mainstream uh, yoga and wellness industry. And so we are working on a scaffolding approach so that the women, you know, they don't just take a training and then that's it, they're done. We're really nurturing their pathways for those who do want to continue on for more training. So now that five will be moving forward into uh, their 200-hour training. So we're really excited Mm. about that. But it's it's incredible, honestly. The whole last winter, we were meeting on Friday nights and Sunday mornings, uh, biweekly, and doing live classes over Zoom, and uh, it was a lifeline for me and for for many of them. I think every single person that was part of the training had a very significant event happen in their life, mostly traumatic, and they were already a lot of trauma. So it became a a healing container for all of us, kind of going along this journey, diving deep. uh, And a lot of the women knew each other. So even just Mm. healing and reconciling some of those relationships and um, coming together and working together. And we had an elder with us, uh, Malas, Vera Newman. So she was, she's one of our fluent speakers. And so she was present at every one of our classes and that really grounded us uh, just through prayer, through hearing the language, through hearing her share very vulnerably about her, her life and, and learnings. And uh, we had amazing guest speakers, other elder women and um, other yoga teachers and uh, different experts. We had uh, different knowledge keepers come in and share with us. So just incredibly enriching and powerful. We, we did start like this isn't a place for trauma processing like just being mm. mindful of what you bring and what you share in the classes because we're all here and working through things like it but at the end of the day it, it was a place where we could all be vulnerable we could share our stories and and really dive deep into some of those emotional layers and uh, mm. historical pieces yeah no I think that like all of that is such medicine not only like being in kinship and in community and connection with other women and two-spirited relatives but also just um like letting your guard down like letting these um like I don't know these walls that we put up within society and just like allowing us to like breathe and really root into our nervous system and to be witnessing other people doing the same and so I'm curious to know like why do you think it's so important that we begin to do this work? Um, yeah, I'll leave it. I'll leave it at that because that's a pretty big question. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just wanted to go back because I know you asked a bit about what it. What have you learned about the yogic uh, side of things, and then bringing First Nations women, First Nations women into the circle? And what I found so far is that there's such a strong desire for. Uh, ourselves as as First Nations women to maintain our own cultural integrity. So when we were learning from some of our guest speakers who uh, were Southeast Asian themselves and talking about, you know, their lived experience through their family and through their teachings, um, there's there was a strong desire to be very grounded in in not taking not taking what wasn't ours and and really understanding that this is a distinct system of healing of 
uh, practice and wellness that comes from a specific place, a specific mm-hmm. geography with a lot of history and people. So there was an interesting contrast there where people were, uh, the women in the cohort were a little bit reluctant almost to to take, pick up some of the practices, for instance, like mm-hmm. chanting, um, Sanskrit because they didn't want to appropriate, they didn't want to take something in a mm-hmm. sensitive way. Um, but overall, I think, you know, what the the foundation of the training, because it's not a full yoga teacher training, we really wanted it to be a place for for the participants to to understand trauma a bit more. So it's a trauma-informed, culturally rooted curriculum. And, you know, there's so much to say about trauma and trauma research and sort of how that's evolved over the past, you know, decade or even the last few decades. It's really become a bit of a buzzword, but our people really have a a deep and entrenched lived experience of trauma and that ongoing cumulative trauma. And so uh, very just challenging at times to um, unpack and and talk a bit about uh, different ways of of knowing and what I love to share with with people whenever talking about trauma is that it doesn't just live in a vacuum it's on a continuum so we can't Mm. talk about trauma without bringing in healing and also introducing Mm -hmm. that it's a whole continuum of care Mm -hmm. and um, and that's what about is for women to really ground themselves, understand uh, different aspects that we can, you know, theoretically about trauma, maybe scientifically from a Western lens, um, as well as bringing in yogic perspectives to that, and then rooting it in what we know as an Indigenous people, what we know as Kwakwakwak people, mm-hmm. um, and tying that to our language uh, and bringing in uh, language learning into the process. So that has always been, um, for me, you know, one of the major traumas that our people have endured, the loss of language. And so that's everything that we bring is to reconnect. And that work is just so incredibly important for our sense of identity, our sense of understanding our paradigm, uh, Mm -hmm. and just knowing more about who we are and where we come from. So that, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that, that is, is interesting. I mean, when I, I tell people, I, sometimes I kind of like laugh when, I'm, when I tell people a bit about what my research is, because to someone who doesn't practice yoga or doesn't know much about First Nations people, it, it might be hard to see where the parallels are, but right. uh, it's really apparent through the process of uh, these, this cohort that we just had. And yeah, I'm just excited. Yeah, the ability to hold like so many truths at the same time, too, because like you just mentioned, like a lot of things. That's how I felt. That's honestly why I wasn't a teacher for a while is because I felt like in a way it was like cultural, cultural appropriation. And I was scared to, you know, do the same thing, take from this lineage that I did not come from. And so I think, you know, when we when we even mention cultural appropriation within the wellness industry, people just like shut down real quick or they like they just don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious to know, like, how do you honor um, yoga's roots and lineage um, while you're teaching or through your practice? Yeah, that's a good question. And I, it's an ongoing question that I have to come back to and just always mm-hmm. remind myself where yoga comes from and that it isn't from my people and keeping that that in mind just to maintain that integrity that uh, we can't take 
what's not ours. And, mm-hmm. and it really is just trying to switch a bit of that paradigm to, to look towards, you know, well, how can we give back? And that mm-hmm. was actually something that was a strong thing that we hear from the women, uh, especially with the crisis that was happening in India last year. A lot of women in our cohort wanted to mobilize and raise funds and, and send it to India. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking like, wow, like that's incredible considering how much, you know, uh, we have going on in our own communities. There's a lot mm-hmm. of poverty um, and just seeing how, how the desire was to always give back. So I think it's just about being in, in right relation and always coming back to being grounded in who you are as a person, as, you know, mm-hmm. you know or other people practicing from different backgrounds, just being really rooted in who you are and always paying homage and respect to the people uh, where this beautiful practice comes from, as well as the ancestors who maintain mm-hmm. the You know, Western yoga has changed a lot and it continues to evolve. Um, but I think just really, it, it's a good reminder. It's a good uh, moving practice and meditation to always come back to um, standing in our truth and, and doing um or at least reconnecting to our own practices. So that's what's really helped me with practicing yoga is being able to work towards being in alignment and in balance so that I can be a good relative, that I could be Mm. a good ancestor, a good mother um, and Mm -hmm. be there as best I can. Yeah. And, and really that's like coming back to our teachings. I know you mentioned like creating like a reciprocal relationship. And so I love that you brought up like even just donating or giving to that lineage in some kind of way. And it reminds me of like, you know, our offerings and offering tobacco and just always this give and this pull and this take. And it's like creating a, yeah, a reciprocal relationship. And I also love that you brought up language. And for me, a big learning aspect of my yoga journey was you know, I could, how can I learn Sanskrit when I don't even know Nehyao, when I don't even know my own language? And so I love that you're bringing, you know, language almost as the container for these two, uh, th- these two lineages. And so how do you intertwine language within um, the cohort and within uh, yoga itself? Yeah. And that's interesting because I, when I think back to even some of the yoga trainings that I've had and some of the guidance that I received early on was just like, when you're teaching beginners, don't bring in Sanskrit. Don't, mm. you know, don't make it too much about yoga. And I just like, I it never sat right with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm always trying to introduce yogic uh, concepts and uh, Sanskrit as best as I can pronounce and, and mm-hmm. grasp myself to when I do teach and try to really maintain the integrity of of how I've been taught or how I have understood and embodied different practices within meditation and pranayama and asana and, and those different, you know, the, it's such a rich practice. So mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to bringing in our language, it was such uh, a no-brainer because, you know, we're working on our nervous system when we're practicing yoga and when we're coming together and, and learning how to ground ourselves, even working through trauma and, and uh, intergenerational trauma and all the things uh, that we know uh, as, you know, living beings in this sort of colonial, existing colonial time. And uh, when when we're in that place, it, it's sometimes hard to to learn language. For me, I'm I'm still a, a baby speaker. Uh, I'm still mm-hmm. just very 
early on to my language learning journey and it takes a lot of dedication. And the first part that I realized for me as just moving forward with it was coming to a place of acceptance of not knowing and, and feeling okay with knowing that it, it's not my fault that I don't know my language. It's not my fault that I didn't grow up hearing it. And it's, it's not my mother's fault. It's not, you know, it's not on my direct line. It's, it's really coming back to all of the colonial practices and harms that, that mm-hmm. were set out to systematically remove that from us. So I approach it now as it's a birthright and it's something that we have to reclaim because mm. in the next 100 years, they say that linguists say that 80% of languages will be non-existent. So it becomes critical in my work, in my parenting, to come back to language learning uh, alongside my children, alongside you know the women that I'm working with. And sometimes it's uncomfortable because you can't always get the pronunciation right, or maybe you're not learning as quickly as you hope. Uh, it, there's a lot of things. It's not like you're just learning Portuguese or you're learning Spanish or French or anything. There's a whole emotional layer of uh, things to work through. So I notice that I think I've come some some way that I'm not so entrenched in some of that um, grief cycle of, of not knowing my language and just mm. that dedication and weaving the two. I don't shy away with our cohort. You know, when we talk about asana, we, we always bring in the Sanskrit piece and encourage them to know what it is. And then we, we've been exploring, there's been several uh, different language speakers who've already done a lot of translation of the poses. So just a continual, it's kind of a playfulness of, of learning um, and kind of applying that in yoga class and then bringing in some of our sacred songs or chants um, into the practice. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's a, an incredible framework I find for language learning. And that's really going to be the focus of our second cohort to bring in more language speakers, bring in more resources and practice time for us to explore um, the roots of yoga and and working through, you know, what a yoga class might look like, but also making space for uh, integrating language, integrating our spiritual practices and, and reclaiming those. So I love it. It's so much fun. Yeah, there's so there's so much medicine in that. And I feel like, yeah, language provides you the blueprint to like understanding like your your own history and your ancestors and uh, the worldview. And I also at times feel like a rush of these colonial timelines and I get kind of like antsy because I'm not learning as fast as I should. And then I'm like, okay, well, maybe I just need to like decolonize my own perception of time and be easier and more gentle on myself. And so that there's this idea of decolonization and I feel like the wellness world is now, you know, catching up to this aspect of, you know, decolonization, decolonizing the wellness uh, world. And so I'm curious to know in your own words, how would you define decolonization and is it possible to do that within the wellness uh, industry? Well, I guess my life has changed a lot since leaving urban like an urban area like Montreal and being in my home community like I said there's really there's no huge corporate influence here it's very um you know mom and pop there's only like a couple of restaurants there's not 
you know, a big economy. And so we don't have those same experiences here on a day-to-day basis of, of the right. wellness industry. So it's not, it's not fully in my sphere. So I don't think about mm. it as much, but, you know, on social media and being still, you know, having so much lived experience in urban areas and what those wellness spaces are like, uh, I don't find they are progressing maybe enough fully mm. race all the mm-hmm. that there is not only in indigenous um, cultures and ways of knowing, but other people uh, that are historically and continuously excluded from those spaces and from the industries. So um, for me, really that decolonization piece uh, comes back to uh, doing our work that we're already doing of just reclaiming our practices, mm-hmm. our own wellness systems, because those existed for, you know, thousands of years since time immemorial, we had our own ways of being in balance, living in harmony. And so that's my version of decolonization. And and there's so much more to say, just as as different ways that I've tried to frame it and understand it, I guess, from more of a intellectual side of things. There's one scholar who is uh, Kwa Kwa Kwa, her name's Marianne Nicholson, and she wrote her thesis about um, our language. And so in that, she found the similarities of how the language is written um, and the connections between body, house, and land. So throughout her paper, it says body equals house equals land. And that Mm. has given me a lot of inspiration of how I look at decolonization or just getting back to who we are and how to, you know, come back from all this, this, uh, this pain, this uh, trauma, a lot of this Mm -hmm. grief is really reclaiming and strengthening uh, our body, our house and our land. So there's a lot of healing that has to happen Mm. physical layer, as well as, you know, socially in our, in our homes. And that, you know, represents a bit from our from a quick, quick, quick lens, you know, more of a societal sense. And then the land, of course, you know, rematriating the land and getting back to um, being in our territory, being connected, knowing our waterways, knowing uh, our territory mm. cycles. And so it's a whole process. And, and just like you said, you know, I think it'll, it's a lifelong thing, like language learning, like mm-hmm. practicing yoga, like anything, it's just coming back home to that. Well, it's coming. I, I love that it's like it, it provides that interconnection of just returning back to the land and returning back to your territory. I love that you mentioned, yeah, the body, the home and the land. And I'm definitely going to use that moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of moving forward, uh, for anyone that's wanting to join your cohort, uh, what what are the requirements to joining the cohort? And what would your advice be for you know the younger generation that's maybe just beginning their yoga wellness uh, journey? Yeah, so moving forward, we're really excited. We're just about to announce our second cohort um, starting in the winter 2022. And so it'll be, uh, we're still just refining a few things and the application process will open, I think in December. I don't have dates right now, but um, otherwise, uh, just to share about like some of the requirements, uh, we're still moving forward with the second cohort to be um, very situated in Kwakwakwak epistemology. Um, but that being said, it is open to uh, First Nations uh, people who identify as women and to spirit. Uh, so we're, we're trying to get away from, you know, the binary, but also trying to maintain a, a, mm. a safe space 
uh, for women because there's so much uh, strength of just being together and um, building up that collective. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll get rolling with that in the winter and uh, the applications will come out. We had, you know, an overwhelming amount of applications for our first cohort. It was a bit surprising, but we do have a bit of a kind of criteria, so to speak, of, of looking at the applicants. And, and then for those who don't actually um, join us for the cohort, we are working on just public offerings. So live classes, other ways mm. to connect. And, um, and I just, I continue to, to teach online, uh, to teach in community and try to bring practices to folks who may have never practiced before. Like a lot of the work that I'm doing in community is with our folks in in treatment, so healing from substance use or misuse, and um, and it's been really incredible just to help on that journey of sharing just what little I know about yoga and even my own culture uh, to people who are on their healing journey. So I think just ongoing, we're creating some resources, some practice videos, so people can learn alongside the cohort. And as we continue to scale up, since it's still such an emerging initiative, uh, there's a lot of work to do and just uh, amplifying the people who are doing the work like yourself. There's lots of amazing Indigenous yoga teachers out there, a lot more than since I started my first training. Um, <laughs> exciting to see people take an interest and to really connect to their their bodies and to to learn about these different practices and integrate that with breath work and, and then bringing that to ceremony and just everyday life. Yeah, I'm like I'm like. Can I join the cohort, or do, do you do you, you have to be a student? She <laughs> come teach for sure. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's everything that I need, and especially during this time too. Like virtually, it, it is like a different type of medicine connecting with other indigenous and two spirited uh, people. And I guess, um, how can people support your work uh, moving forward? Um, I think just. Connecting. I, I always love connecting with new people. So uh, on social media or other ways, um, I love collaborating uh, with different people and organizations and initiatives. So that's always something that I'm interested in in uh, connecting with folks about. Um, if people have the means to support by a, you know, a monetary donation, I'm partnered with the Yoga Outreach Society. And so um, they accept, um, they are a charity, so they accept donations and that can go directly towards the First Nations Women's Yoga Initiative. Uh, so those are a few ways uh, that I can think of. But overall, I feel pretty good about where I am and um, just the, the beautiful circle of support we have and just how things are growing from the first cohort um, onwards and creating really beautiful ripple effects. So even from that, there's been um, an initiative led by one of our um, graduates. Uh, her name's Avis O'Brien, and she's uh, leading a, a suicide prevention um, workshop that really has a lot of similarities to our cohort and, you know, offering uh, body-based practices and embodied ways to heal. And so um, I can share the link to that. So if there's anyone who wants to check out that work and really um, give back, I think, towards uh, our youth, that's what that initiative has created. So I could just see a lot of um, just a lot of positive things happening or contributing to language revitalization and um, supporting their own communities or communities who are continuing to learn and reclaim language. 
And I know, I know we're wrapping up here pretty quick, but I know I, I asked this a little bit earlier, but um, I know there's um, quite a bit of youth that listen to this. And I know there's probably some here that have never practiced yoga or any kind of breath work. And so what would your advice be to the younger generation um, that wants to, you know, introduce yoga to their life or introduce uh, wellness practices? What would your advice be for the younger generation? I think that if they have uh people they trust in their communities already and that there's ceremonies there, that can be a really good starting place um, to to learn about being in your body. Um, and I think that if they are able to connect with those practices, that's really, you know, for me, the goal as, as an Indigenous person. But um, just trying it out, you know, there's, I don't think I've ever met anyone who's felt worse or bad after leaving a yoga practice or a meditation. So just being open-minded, I think that our young people are so uh, amazing at, at just trying new things and, and um, just being fearless in that sense of being open to exploring new connections and, and really building a connection with self. Mm. So yeah, I hope <laughs> yeah well thank you so much for uh you know building this connection with me and for reconnecting it's been a minute since we've reconnected and i'm super inspired by all the work that you're putting out in the world while also like juggling being a mother and uh, everything that you're doing is like it's it's amazing and i look forward to continuing to see your journey online and hopefully in person soon uh thank you so much jessica for sharing your wisdom and your expertise uh hi hi for being here I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I would love your feedback. Follow me on Instagram at Shayla0h at matriarch.movement. And don't forget to subscribe on the pod platform of your choice and review and write where possible. I'll be back in a week. Hi, hi. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico. Marketing and digital growth, Kayla Gillis. And partnerships, Natalie Hope.